Well, welcome back to the Social World Podcast after the holiday season. Um, and as promised, we are now doing the third part of the uh, human trafficking cases. And effectively, I've got Matt Richardson back again, thankfully, after last time in December. And as promised, we're going to look into a bit more depth in terms of the work he did. So, Matt, if you're there, welcome to the program. Well, good after or good day, Dave. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure as always. Okay. Now, look, I tell you what, let's jump straight in, eh? Because I've heard that you are going to be the subject of a documentary called Dark Highway that's being made or distributed, but it's already talked about in Canada and the States. And hopefully, if it's online, it should be available in the rest of the world. Could you just say a little bit about it? And that will give us a sense of what you're involved with at the moment. Oh, absolutely, Dave. Thank you. Um, the the production, The Dark Highway, is a documentary film which is focusing on human trafficking activity in Ontario, Canada, along the 401 Highway Corridor. So that's one of the busiest highways in North America, and it's Canada's busiest. It also links several large metropolitan areas such as Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal. So there's a lot of traffic going through there. Mm-hmm. With that, we see high volumes of human trafficking uh, disproportionate really to the population centers of the towns. So it was the uh, production crew that uh, began to do some research on the topic. And in the course of doing so, they ran into me. They encountered me on LinkedIn. Um, and I was recruited really from there to uh, join the production. So the film will focus on uh, you'll hear from me, but you'll hear from a variety of experts um in law enforcement we have journalists on it um as well very importantly as survivors um lending their voice and experience to the film i really feel like um those of us in the audience today that tune in and check it out it's very informative it's a timely very important social story it's not the easiest to talk about yet they have done so in a way that's informative and certainly They've brought a lot of humanity to the topic, so I'm just very proud of the production crew myself. Everyone involved. What's the timeline, Matt? Timeline, we're looking at... um, There's going to be a version of the film out... I'm thinking it's going to be the first half of 2023. I know it's getting close. Mm. There may also be a follow-up edition that's lengthier with the timing to, uh, to be determined at present. Okay, well, look... Obviously, you know, you're an old hat now on on the program here, so we'll have you back when you get it out. That sounds like a good sort of uh, bookmark to make. Should we do that then and um, make people more aware of it closer to the time that it's released? Is that okay? That sounds lovely. Count me in. I would love to. Okay. Now, I've got to ask you a couple of questions that arose from from last uh, interview that we did and certainly questions that were interested to me. You do a lot of work on the dark web, if you like, and everybody associates the dark web with criminality. Now, effectively, therefore, you would think, how do you go about either getting permission or what is the situation with using the dark web if you're not a criminal, if you're somebody like yourself who's looking to catch criminals? So how do you go about actually um, the moral impact of the dark web and the use of it? Well, when we're talking dark web, that's typically in my lane or in my world, that will be a part of CSAM or CSE investigation. CSAM is child sexual abuse material, yeah. formerly known as child pornography, no longer. 
Um, and then uh, CSE is child sexual exploitation. So that is present on the clear web too, but the dark web obviously is a big uh, repository for it. I would begin by saying it's not the place to go for amateurs or people that aren't thoroughly trained, vetted, and approved to do it. It is uh, the psychological toll is heavy. Further, mm-hmm. there are techniques, tools um, available um, where we can avoid exposure to the images and the videos, which is highly illegal for anyone, me included, that's not a sworn office um, law enforcement officer with the proper credential. Yeah. So yeah. It takes a lot of training, mentorship. Um, there's uh, psychological sort of um, testing, if you will, skill testing and the training. So it doesn't happen overnight. And I, I wouldn't recommend it for anyone um, without going through the proper steps. So the other piece of it is the illegality. There are strict boundaries and limitations on what an investigator can and should do. And, and it takes some training to be aware of them and avoid crossing over. And all of that is reassuring, I think, you know, to people listening, I hope that, that effectively it's not just a, yeah, okay, Matt, you can do it. You know, that kind of thing, you know, there's, there's a process and there's checks and balances. I think that's very, very important. Do you think you could talk us through just briefly, maybe from the A to, an A to Z of a case that you might have been involved with, just to give people a sense of the sort of stuff that you come up against? Uh, well, certainly. Um, I think uh, I'm just trying to pull one here. I know one I can I can discuss. There's no typical case, first of all, and there's no real profile of the criminal. Hmm. So. When I'm asked of that, I say, what's the profile of a heterosexual male? And, and you and I know, Dave, there is none. All yeah, walks, yeah. all, you know. Yeah. So one that I can recollect quite easily it was a dark web person. We had a law enforcement starting point or lead to pivot and work from. And discovering, uh, let's just say, discovering that this um, this lead I was able to find them on the dark web and establish criminality. So what they were doing was they were, um, we thought they were trading in CSAM, like the most egregious forms of it, but they were also um, a producer. So they made it. I see. They were trafficking in children and traveling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's surreal almost like that's the other thing is I, I, you know, on TV, these things all begin, there's always a beginning, a middle and an end in a one hour episode. Right. This guy took 40 to 60 hours, I figure to go and find and, and do some open source intelligence or clear web search to be able to establish the criminality and the identity of the individual location. And what was interesting with that was, uh, well, I mean, it led to arrest, but it, with him went others. So by getting mm-hmm. the one, they began to pull in others, and and it ended up being a case where I um I can't get into specifics, but I can say no, no, some, no. Of, no. some of the bad guys are out of circulation, but there were recoveries of kids and teens uh, that were being victimized that now aren't. And then when you think of the ripple effects and how many people these predators can touch and the ripple effects how many won't be impacted or victimized um, ever now because they're out of circulation, they're away from society. But uh, the, the, an example right there where you start with very little or in some cases almost nothing mm-hmm. and with some hard work, some good intuition, some skill, 
and a bit of faith, um, you can end up with those results. And I think, too, that the impact um, on the victims is something that will go on forever as well in terms of um, their need for support in many cases, but also the volume of people and work you mentioned, actually, to even achieve an outcome, a good outcome there. Tell me, do you feed back to others as you find information or do you wait and compile a complete kind of case and then present it and see, you know, to, to law enforcement? And again, they're all unique, but both are common enough where um, you might go and do a check in. Here's what here's what I've here's what I've learned that's new. Mm-hmm. Here are three key pieces that I think are worth looking at. Do you know about them? Do you do they have anything new that we might factor into our investigation? So we'll often check in. Other times we can go back with something pretty much completed, ready to go. It's 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 case by case. And you uh, work worldwide, complex, don't you? You work worldwide, don't you, Matt? Uh, the Anti-Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative, of which I'm a member of, we work globally. So, yes, yeah. we work with yeah. law enforcement. We do cases from around the world. Okay. Well, look, I mean, the impact on you is something else. You mentioned it earlier i mean and I, I i did want to ask you a little bit about it just briefly but i mean i'm very much um of the belief of actually trying to deal with the health of the professionals involved in tracking things like this and working in cases like this and do you feel that you get enough opportunity for for um whatever whatever reflective supervision call it what you will you know your own health in terms of the impact of the things that you have to look at to see and to deal with? I, yeah, I do myself personally. And I think I'll lead what I'll lead with is other industries, your mental health is really normalized. So veterans of theaters of war, first responders are, are amazing law enforcement friends, um, ambulance attendants, emergency room doctors and nurses and on. Mm-hmm. It's become normalized that there's going to be PTSD and other mental health ramifications, whereas in the intelligence sector, I I don't feel it is as far along yet. So one, I believe the term we use is vicarious trauma. So we do experience very traumatic, unnatural things on a regular basis, and it does have an impact. So, mm-hmm. I mean, myself, um, I've experienced things like, you know, vivid nightmares, uh, triggers like like a song on the radio, something very innocuous that bring you back yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I get it. And it's get, it's a, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was only going to say sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was only going to say for me, uh, with the worst of cases, it was um, in the end of that I I could hardly ever watch anything on television that didn't have a happy ending. <sighs> Uh, David, I'm no different. I watch happy stuff uh, when I'm not working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, listen, thanks. Okay, well, so so we're recognizing that it is an issue, and you have you might be saying it hasn't caught up maybe with the intelligence community quite yet. The the it's, necessary um, kind of work that's needed to keep them healthy. So, some of the orgs will be more along than others. Mine, um, the ATII, Anti-Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative, mm. I've had a lot of very thoughtful support. So my family and my organization have been 
just tremendously thoughtful and supportive all of the way. So I've never been uncomfortable. I've never felt weird or strange. Some of us that do this feel like people don't get us. My organization's been first class all the way. And I mean, I'm here talking about because my organization really made me feel comfortable and empowered me to do that. So my family and my org. um, Well, I am, of course, I am glad for you, Matt. And that that sounds very healthy. Um, I just suspect, though, that it's good that we had the conversation because there's bound to be people listening out there probably involved in you know anything that's sort of similar and traumatic uh, that doesn't don't get necessarily as much support and I'm sure you would echo the um the advice to them which would be get it because your health is the only one you've got and most of your information and health is between your ears would you agree with that well 100% um and you you know the old saying is if you're yes everything we do is behind, between the ears and we can get tired and we can get weary and, and it can stay with you. Mm. So it's very important, I think, having a licensed or qualified therapist, because we will all experience trauma differently. And and um, a qualified licensed therapist to help you through that. I have appointments once a month that I stick with, even if I don't feel like I need it. And then I have friends in the space that do the work, David, Um mm that I'll that they confide me I can find with them because we do the work and we can say things completely unfiltered and that the combination of those two things I think uh, it sounds positive Matt. I mean I just wished and I'm sure you'd agree that everybody had that kind of access to support Oh um, anyway, yes. listen, let's 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 move on a little if I could if you just I I want to ask something that I I read an interview that you did um with the uh ACAMS this this uh, community dedicated to ending financial crime and 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 talk, you talked about trafficking with them but you also mentioned in it the rise in self-generated child sexual abuse material now people who've been groomed or coerced for example and then you also talked about what's called sextortion um yeah. where, blackmail after sort of um, soliciting sexual photographs etc from people and then they get the main a lot teenage boys was something you focused on could you say a little bit about both of them quickly is that okay oh yes um so self-generated csam or child sex abuse material is any content discovered where the teenager or the children are taking the videos or pictures themselves that's self-generated okay. Okay. The article goes on to say, and it's hundred uh, percent true, that the vast majority of the time that a youth will create intimate uh, content themselves, that's not usually going to be just on a whim. Usually, there's grooming and manipulation or coercion on the part of a trafficker or predator that will in that will in, they'll entice them in the beginning and coerce them into creating the content, and they'll threaten them with things like disclosing previous nude images embarrassing them ruining their lives they'll say yeah so self-generated csam doesn't mean that the kids the teens are in there on their own accord free will and everything's okay far from it the teenage boys is newer um even in the field i'd always held the belief this was just absolutely primarily a female thing where females are targeted still more females are targeted but we're seeing is the teens are being the teen males are being groomed by um scammers or predators that are masquerading as females or catfishing is the term um 
Yeah. They entice the boys into sending nudes and, you know, saying, hey, I'll exchange, I'll send some of mine. And then when they receive them, they threaten to disclose them, just like sextortion of a female, unless they send money. So some of these have resulted in the kids sending money. Um, some of them, many of them, unfortunately, um, the teen boys have committed suicide because they didn't know they had anywhere to go. And mm-hmm. then the other, and it reaches whole new levels, is families that have a teen boy that's taken his life. Some of these criminals are then going to the families and saying, if you don't send money, we're going to leak your deceased son's intimate images. So the scale of depravity and callousness just goes on and on on that. So I would guess that you would probably agree. I mean, my my first thought would be, okay, so whoever can um, be involved in this, whether it's kind of schools or communities or whoever, should actually shine light on this and to really try and reassure teenagers that there is hope and that there is a way out of this and that the you know the there are people around that understand and they'll be as confidential as possible but essentially you know that they're there for them that that whole thing is recognized i guess you'd you'd agree with that yes absolutely because i just think to myself if you and I were coming of age, it was hard enough, Dave, when we were younger. If you throw the internet into that, social media, the pressure of there being a permanent record of everything now, the kids don't have it easy. And if you think to yourself, when you were coming of age, were you ever curious about things? And most of us, most of what we see with this is coming of age, normal stuff, except the internet adds risks and pressures. So if our kids know it's okay to make mistakes, and to come to you or a trusted adult, if they make them, we won't see, hopefully, as many of the of the bad outcomes or the worst of them, including the suicides, because those teens can go to mom and dad or the family friend and say, I made a mistake and I don't know what to do. And then we can help them and fix it. Okay. And that's what I would that's what I say to my own son right there, Dave. Nope. I don't encourage him to send nudes, but I say if you make a mistake or when you do, mm-hmm. just come to me. Nothing is the end of the world. We fix things around here. Anytime we can message other parents like that or responsible adults or people who've got influence over teenagers or whatever, I think the better. Um, no, I couldn't agree more. Now, what's the, what does this month hold for you, by the way? Just as a sort of, are you traveling much? Because you do lecturing a lot, you teach a lot, you're investigating cases, you're quite multitasking. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm spread out a bit, so... My month will be my my next few months are really a combination of all of those things. So I'm always going to be involved in investigations and operations. We're at the ATII. We actually have a child safety um, um, training, and it involves open source intelligence. Some of our financial investigations this coming Thursday. January. People can that people can sign up for. I mean, I know that they do courses regularly, don't they? We do offer public education. Um, I'll be uh, we'll be doing a child safety summit this spring as well, which is free to attend. There'll be more on that coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do a variety of public spots and appearances, typically discussing um, avoiding the, the risks online, or if it's law enforcement, we do more investigative, but they're closed door to the public. Well, if you right, well, if you can give me any kind of links that are open to like our listeners. You know, um, I'll put them on the front of um, this podcast. 
on the text, you know, in terms of any courses coming up that are, you know, just open to the public. Well, no, thank you for that, Dave. I will get some links for some of our upcoming uh some of our upcoming events, which I highly encourage um, everyone to attend because we all have a stake in this. Mm. We're all online and we all we all really do share the same risks and, and really the nice sides of our society. doesn't matter if we're in Europe or North America or South America. So with the ATII, we do have quite a bit coming up. Um, there will be something for everyone over the coming months. And I do. Um, I'll share the links. That and I terrific. highly recommend uh, registering and joining us. Matt, thanks. I mean, listen, um, we're going to have to wrap it up here, but basically, um, we're, you're going to you're coming back again when Dark Highway hits the airwaves, yeah? I would love to. You get you give me the invite, and I will be there. I'd love to join you. In <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, look. In the meantime, and I'm sure people listening, I, I hope many of them will kind of link in with ATII and look out for things and and look out for yourself involved in other things as well so i mean matt richardson it's been a pleasure thank you very much indeed for your company thank you kindly for having me dave as always a pleasure and thank you to our audience for tuning in today it's appreciated okay let's just uh here we go Stop.